Hey, hi. Welcome to Someone Else's Movie, the original podcast where an actor, writer, director, or nebulous industry figure gives a little love to a movie they didn't make. I'm Norm Wilner, senior film writer for Now Magazine, and this is The Other Thing I Do. My guest this week is PJ McCabe, a filmmaker and actor you might have seen in The Block Island Sound or The Wolf of Snow Hollow. This year, he co-wrote, co-directed, and co-stars with Jim Cummings in the very funny, very strange erotic thriller, The Beta Test, which was released on VOD platforms last month. For this very special Christmas episode, PJ wanted to discuss Eyes Wide Shut, the 1999 comic psychodrama that capped Stanley Kubrick's career. Tom Cruise stars as William Harford, a Manhattan doctor sent spiraling through the city at Christmas time by the thought that his wife Alice, played by Cruise's real-life spouse at the time, Nicole Kidman, might not be 100% committed to him. Dr. Bill's Odyssey leads him down some very strange paths, including an infamous orgy scene that had to be digitally obscured in the film's initial North American release, and gives Cruise the chance to play against his hyper-confident screen persona, finding a strange vulnerability as a guy who is entirely, completely outmatched by just about everyone he meets. And he meets some very weird people. This is someone else's movie. So Eyes Wide Shut is one of the craziest, funniest movies I've ever seen. And I, ge- I genuinely view it as a comedy. <laughs> like I, when I watch it, it's just, it's every aspect of it is just, it just makes me laugh. I, uh, Jim, my partner that uh, I made beta with and write with, um, I, we just, we sat down and we watched it uh, a few years ago and we were just cracking up. I mean, it, I, obviously, like just the subject matter is so funny and hilarious, but just watching Tom Cruise as Dr. Bill, who's just kind of this like sad, lonely doctor who's kind of bored wandering through Manhattan and getting himself in way over his head was just so funny to us and just such a weird role for Tom Cruise to play that uh, we, we love watching it. And it's just so beautiful. I mean, everything about the movie is so uh, just with the whole Christmas theme of it. It's it's so pretty and it's just just the whole atmosphere of the movie is it's just fun. It's just a fun movie to me. And uh, <laughs> I don't know, it's just such a fun world that you want to crawl into and, uh, and get lost in. So it's, it's a personal favorite of mine for sure. Yeah. I've, I've never, I have to admit, I've never been a fan. Uh, I wish I could remember who it was. It might've been Roger Ebert, but it might've been weirdly enough. I think I've seen it attributed to Stephen King as well, but I'm not sure who said it, but the, the, their take on it at the time was like, this is the work of a man who hasn't left the house in 20 years. <laughs> yeah, sure. Sure. And that's Absolutely. not necessarily a negative, right? Like that's, yeah. that's actually a pretty reasonable take it, on, on Kubrick's kind of hermetic view of humanity by that point. Yeah, I agree. It's, it's interesting. Like it's, it's crazy. It was his last movie and, and I was reading more about it. I didn't realize that he, he passed away before the movie even came out. And it was kind of like at the very end of his career and, and the end of his life, sadly. Mm-hmm. And, and that he didn't actually get quite to finish it. I guess it was close to his final cut on it, but there was still a lot of sound mixing and a lot of the music wasn't finished. And yeah. so it sounds like the studio kind of came in and did a lot of the final technical aspects, which is interesting. Um, and he, I guess was still kind of like, not sure about it. It's such a weird movie for him to do, but I guess when you look back at his career, like he had done a lot of weird stuff like that. I think this was like a weird, interesting nineties erotic thriller take of a movie for him to finish his career on, but you're right. I think it's, it's similar, I guess, to bring it into beta test. It was kind of like, it's a funny thing where it, it is obviously a movie about sex and this erotic thriller, uh, for guys that are very kind of 
embarrassed to talk about sex like Jim and I are. And so I think a lot of that showed up in the final execution of the movie where it's kind of a guy who might be bashful about talking about sex in his regular life to make a movie like this and get to portray it in this weird, bombastic way that yeah. uh, that made me laugh because I could kind of relate to that as trying to make a, an erotic thriller of my own. It's it's a weird thing to do. Yeah, I mean, I, I have never had the experience of trying to make a movie about it or tell a story about it, but the idea of desire is kind of inherently funny from the outside, right? Because um, I mean, for for a hundred years, the movies have been struggling to figure out what eroticism looks like, and it's either por- sheer pornographic, like overlit pumping away sure. mechanics, like yeah. hydraulics in a way, uh, or it's gauzy filters. Like everybody has their idea of what it looks like, but I think the only film to do justice to it, and this is going to make me sound even dumber, is is MacGruber, where. Oh man, I love MacGruber. MacGruber is one of my favorite movies. That's amazing. And if yeah. you remember the sex scene, right? Like there's the version in his head and then there's the harsh, hideous reality. Of course. Yeah. His pick, and they've got like clearly the other actors and it's clearly other people. It's so funny. Yeah. Absolutely. That is yeah. a great oh, man. We should have done MacGruber. I love <laughs> MacGruber. We could talk about MacGruber all day. That's another one Jim and I reference all the time. Uh, just like great comedic strokes. But that's that's really funny. You say that as one of the best erotic uh, displays in cinema history. Or the that, most honest anyway. The most honest. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Because, yeah, I mean, look, a lot of times like the, the way sex is portrayed is this like lovely beautiful it's it's often not like sex is messy and ugly and can be really awkward for a lot of people especially you know a lot of awkward one night stands and everything sure and so i think that's funny and i think eyes wide shut was funny because you know the whole orgy scene is just so ludicrous and it's just so over the top and silly and i think that's what made me laugh and dr bill tom cruise's character is just kind of this bumbling buffoon walking through manhattan trying to like you know, he gets so close to doing it and never actually does and walks yeah. into all these awkward situations. And throughout the movie, like rewatching it again, I forgot, like he never actually gets late. He never actually goes through with it. He gets very close, but the closest he ever gets is just in is just in his head, his wife just having this gratuitous sex with some sailor in like a dream sequence. And like, that's never even actually a thing. And so it's just more the idea of sex in your mind versus the reality of sex that never actually happens. And I think, I guess that is kind of one of the bigger themes of the movie. Yeah, no, it's a film about, it's sort of, I think I just, no, I, yeah, this was me. I described it once as like a study in exquisite perversity because it's all about withholding. Uh, The audience theoretically wants to see Tom Cruise have sex as an actor. Like this was right at that point too, where the two films, that most define him that year are Magnolia and Eyes Wide Shut. And they're two, they're kind of like the two movies where he was most willing to play against his own image or lean into it, depending on how you perceive him. Yeah. It, it was a cool time for him. It, it's such a funny role for him because I feel like it's the one time they kind of embraced also like how short he is. <laughs> like they kind of like comically, he just looks like this funny sad little guy and like walking next to these tall, beautiful, naked women in these big headdresses in the orgy scene. And he just looks so comically out of place that, uh, I, yeah, I don't know. I guess I, I read it in like as such a, a comedic take on the movie that, um, uh, I don't know. It just, it just made Jim and I laugh a lot when we watched it. We were like, I love that you can make movies like this. And that's such a cool thing to be able to do. I, I was really surprised. Uh, I had heard that uh, Kubrick had had optioned the novel 
like years before the film was made, but I didn't realize it was so far back that he'd originally considered following 2001 with it. It, it yeah. goes back that far. And then his casting ideas included, according to Wikipedia, I don't know if this is true or not. I, I would love it to be true, but I doubt it. Mm-hmm. He wanted to do it with either Steve Martin or Woody Allen in the late 70s. Oh, wow. I, I didn't know that. That that would be a way. Wow. So he had this all the way back to the set. I knew that it was based on a, a book and like it was based on Venice in the 1900s. There was like a way different narrative of the story of a book yeah. that he wanted to do. But I didn't realize he was he's been trying to do this since the 70s. Um, Apparently, the yeah. Back. Yeah. Wow. That's right. With Woody Allen. See, that's that proves to me that he wanted it to be a comedy. Of course. <laughs> I mean, that's that proves that it's a comedy. So that's great. And, and that makes it way funnier. I think uh, so for the table read, we're actually trying to get Bill Hader to to come in oh, to do to play Dr. Bill. He He's a buddy of Jim's. And so we've been like trying to uh, that worked kind of like working around scheduling to get Bill to come in to play Dr. Bill, because I think he would just do it incredibly. And we want to do it as just like a laugh out loud comedy as a table read. Because again, like when you read the script, it doesn't read funny at all. It's not it's not written funny. There's no jokes. But I mean, just the the pomp and circumstance of all the situations. It's just it. I, I think it really does play as a comedy. And the fact that he was getting Woody Allen to do it, that'd be really <laughs> weird. But I'd be I picturing that it'd be very curious to see that version of it. That's pretty funny. Oh, Hater'd be great too. Although yeah. I, my first thought when you mentioned his name was that he should play Victor Ziegler. That he should play the Sidney Pollock character. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so uh, we were hoping our dream would be uh, Vincent D'Onofrio is is a buddy of Jim's as well. And we like to have this big, imposing uh, figure for Ziegler. Sidney Pollock's great. He, he's such a he's such a great. Uh, that's our favorite scene in the movie is, is the scene with the pool table at the end and everything. It's it's just uh, it's so weird the way it starts. And, and Tom Cruise <laughs> comes in. And it's such a beautiful scene. And Tom Cruise comes in and he's still got his facade up, you know, like, oh, yes, everything fine. Just like a lead of New York. And then when, uh, yeah, when Sidney Pollock is just like, Bill, I was there. I know you were there. And he instantly has to drop it. And he looks like a kid who got in trouble, who got yeah. like tattled on it. And it like is now in the principal's office. And that's funny again to us. Like, it's just because he's just this sad kid who got caught. And uh, that's just the the whole kind of buildup of that scene is just such a joy to watch. It's just executed perfectly. Yeah. I'm, I'm starting to lean into the comedy theory. There's, there's a lot about it that it's just, it's so it's the film is so self-consciously moody and stentorian, you know, like all these, all these things are being delivered as though they're pronouncements throughout. And if it's supposed to be played for laughs, I could certainly I think I'd appreciate Nicole Kidman's performance. I, I, her, yeah. her early scenes make a lot more sense that way too. I agree. And I think, I, I think it kind of has to be, I don't know if you wanted it to be a laugh out loud comedy. I think maybe that's why I like it so much because I do see it that way, but I could definitely see there are parts that are way over brooding. And if you did take, if you did try to take it seriously, I think, yeah, I, I don't think it would be as good. I mean, Jim and I would say, if you don't put jokes in your movies, the audience will. And I think this is a case where that maybe that happens. Because I, there are no jokes in the movie. The, honestly, the funniest scene is Alan Cummings' scene, where he's like this goofy kind of guy at the front desk of the hotel, and he's just kind of this goofy character, and it's very silly. But yeah, you're right. I mean, a lot of the other scenes are played very serious. So I think Jim and I are watching it, and we're just making funny commentary like that is so ludicrous. And I think that's why we enjoyed it because it was just like an entertaining watch when you're watching it with a buddy laughing at this ridiculous circumstances that Tom Cruise finds himself in. It's just ludicrous. 
Yeah, I mean, my first experience of it was in, you know, when it opened theatrically, I, I went to see it. And I, for whatever reason, I, there was no press screening. I can't remember if that was intentional or if it was just me having missed it. I might've had to see something else because it had opened in the summer of 99 and there were like five or six other things and I might've had an assignment because um, I was still freelance and totally dependent on my editors. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure it was, it, it was a huge, I'm sure it must've been a huge release. Were they like quiet about it? Was it like a quiet? No, no. Warner had it uh, carved out a date for it. And, and even like, I think before his death, it was scheduled for, I want to say June or July of that. Of that yeah. Year. I mean, I hate to say it. I would think they'd be like, oh, Kubrick's final film, like in like that would be a huge push. Yeah, no. And Warner yeah. was his studio. They were absolutely. Yeah, that was a big thing. Um, so I saw it at Friday, like the opening Friday afternoon at like one thirty in the afternoon with maybe 75 people in a great big theater and no one made a noise. Like there was no giggling. There was no breathe. Like people were just yeah. dead silent trying to figure out how to respond to it. And that's a long brooding movie to be sitting there with no reaction whatsoever. And just watching this like very weird drawn out scene. So I can imagine that would be a slog of a screening. <laughs> yeah. It did not play for me. And I wonder if maybe yeah. that's what's done it. Like that just, it didn't turn me against it, but it put me outside of it sure. um friends of mine screen it at their christmas parties they just have it on in the background which again if you're uh. if you're wandering into a christmas party in the middle of a, like a saturday afternoon and everybody's just standing around with with punch and, and cookies and suddenly in the background there's an orgy sequence going on yeah yeah with beautiful christmas lights and everything yeah. and like make it i will say like i am i hate to say it i am a sucker for christmas decorations and like the christmas mood and like lighting and stuff. So I think maybe that's part of it too. Cause it's like the weirdest, darkest Christmas movie yeah. you'll ever see. It's like the weirdest, saddest, almost anti-Christmas. Um, but it's beautiful. Like all the decorations and the lights are lovely. And I feel like that's done on purpose to kind of like highlight this weird, um, you know, almost pagan ritual in a very yeah. pagan movie. I mean, like say what you will, the orgy is extremely pagan with the chanting and the weird sex bacchanal aspect of it. Um, and that is like very old time pagan ritual type thing. And so I, I think that was kind of part of the Christmas lights and everything. And I, I appreciated that symbolism. I thought that was kind of fun. Mm. I don't know. And I'm, you're I'm also a sucker for all that old timey Illuminati stuff. I mean, I know it's silly, <laughs> but like that stuff's always funny to me is like, you know, I like I don't take it seriously, but it's fun to lampoon and put into movies because it is entertaining. Yeah. And I was wondering, too, if that is like Kubrick's commentary on secret societies, because, of course, you know, like famously people believe he shot the moon landing. And yeah, sure. so that's 20, 20 years later, 30 years later, I guess he's just paying it back by going, come on, look, look how dumb these people are. Look how ridiculous all this is. I hadn't thought about that. That's, that's very, very interesting. I, yeah, it is like kind of a weird commentary on these secret societies and maybe kind of making fun of that. I mean, Kubrick, I'm sure as one of the greatest directors of all time was probably, you know, rubbing shoulders with a lot of very important, famous political people and everything. And you would assume, oh, well, yeah, if there's a, like, he's got to be top of the list of hanging out with all these people in these secret societies. And I don't know if whether it was him making fun of the fact that these societies do exist and kind of making fun of how lame and ridiculous they are and making it seem like they are this like all powerful thing that could silence you and, and fake all these deaths or, either making fun of it or being like, no, like this is a real thing that actually does happen. I, I think it's more the former that it's making fun of the fact that people think these societies exist and they yeah. are doing all this weird 
sex stuff and sacrificing these women and then covering it up. Uh, so I, I, I definitely could see that being part of the, uh, uh, the influencer, uh, for why he would make it. Yeah. And I was, and I was sort of braced against the idea of, Oh my God, this is going to have so many retrograde problematic sexual attitudes, but it kind of doesn't. I think what, yeah. what surprised me this time through is that the women are really in control right up until the end when we find out just how much power the men have. And I think that was the point. And I think that the, the patriarchal aspect of the secret society is silly right up until we see how serious it is. And then you realize that even goofy men, even like these foolish men can still kill you if you offend them. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, Ziegler is kind of this like goofy rich and he seems like the fun uncle, you know I mean? And he seems like a doof. Like, I mean, the fact that Tom Cruise has to go up and help him and he's in there and he's like putting his stupid suspenders on like, (laughs) like his, and he's like, Oh, I don't know what happened. She just like, she took some drugs or something. And he has to like, like Tom has the power there helping him out. But then he turned out to be like this scary, dangerous guy who has to take Thomas on and be like, dude, they're going to kill you. Like, I'm here trying to help you out. Like, look, and it's kind of embarrassment where it's like, you can't, if you let it out that we do this weird sex stuff, like you're going to embarrass me in front of my friends. He literally says that he says like, Tom, you're going to embarrass me in front of these people. And it's, he's more worried about how he seems to his buddies at this sex party than actually like you know, uh, getting away, you know, making sure he doesn't like get in trouble with, uh, with the law for murdering this woman. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause that's yeah, not a concern, so, right? Like that's, yeah, really... and that's what's more concerning is being embarrassed in front of your peers than actually doing the moral thing. And then like, it's, you know, like putting, like murdering women that you've already subjected to this weird sexual acts. It's a weird power dichotomy. And, uh, and, uh, yeah. And the fact that Tom is also all, the guys are the kind of the buffoons, even though they're the ones who seem to be running the show. They're kind of all stupid at the end. <laughs> the yeah, they come stupid, but lethal, which is a combination you sure. don't usually see in films about power. Right. But it kind of makes sense. People, like, I, I think, again, my own theory is that it's, it's sort of about um, the confidence of inherited wealth. You know, like the idea that if you're, if you're old money rich, you really don't have to think that much. For yourself like there are structures in yeah. place that that protect you and and what we see is bill just wandering into one having no idea thinking he's pulling something off but again just he's a puppet the whole time from the beginning to the end and his relationship with his wife which was the thing that got him into this is so secondary like ziegler <laughs> does not care does not care about his right. relationship troubles like none of this matters yeah because the world around around bill is so much bigger and so much more dangerous than he understands. For sure. And uh, no, and that, I guess that's very similar to Beta as well, where it yeah. like really the main the main impetus of it is the fact it's just a guy in a in an unhappy relationship who's just kind of like who's seeking something bigger than himself and is, is scared and feels lonely and bored and like he's lost power in his own life and his own relationship and respect of his significant other. And then, but then when that draw puts you out into the big, bad real world and you find yourself in this even bigger, crazier conspiracy, it kind of puts things in perspective and you're like, yeah, you know, maybe grass isn't always greener. You should be happy with what you've got. And maybe I should just focus on making my life better and focus on communicating with my spouse instead of running out into the big, bad, scary world and getting caught up in some bigger, crazier conspiracy that like, you don't want to get involved with. And that's, I don't know, that was funny to us. And I think we definitely took that uh, to heart when we were writing beta test. 
I'm trying to think about the specific points of connection that that the way the beta test sort of bounces off Eyes Wide Shut. Uh, I mean, my review of it says, like, imagine Eyes Wide Shut as a full-on comedy, which I think you guys were already doing. Yeah, for sure. But they're both about anxiety and self-image and, and yeah, and the awkwardness of wanting something that you probably shouldn't take. Like even yeah, if it's, it's offered the idea to you. of temptation, it's the idea of, you know, it, like what kind of person, I mean, it's, it's, I mean, the whole project started with, you know, Jim being like, like, what would you actually do if you got a letter in the mail that like, inviting you personally to a no strings attached sexual encounter? We were like, obviously we would never do that. That's insane. But what if you were somebody who did, what if like, what kind of person would do that? We we're like, I don't know, somebody who's probably unfulfilled in their life and having an identity crisis and is already kind of a liar, basically a talent agent. <laughs> it's kind of seemed like the perfect combination of a person who would do that. Uh, and that was interesting to us and being able to find this guy who was already having such an identity crisis, uh, go through with this and then try to backpedal and figure out, you know, what the conspiracy was. Um, and that was fun. And that was, that was a funny world for us to play in. And I think a lot of people go through that. I think a lot of people, have jobs where, you know, you know, they're they're not so much they're they're more pretending to be that job because they feel like that's what they're supposed to do, and it kind of takes away from who they really are as a person, and and it can get kind of confusing, and you don't really have an identity anymore. And I think a lot of people are struggling with that now, especially in the days of social media and uh, you know constantly looking over your shoulder and not wanting to get in trouble or get you know do something that's going to step out of line and and get you in trouble. Yeah, the fear of cancellation is is a whole new, like specifically white male anxiety. But sure, and I'm like, sure it'll spread out to others as, as as time goes on. Absolutely, and and it's not even and like look look some people do terrible things, but also like I mean people you know people are scared of doing any little aspect anymore because and and not even realizing it. I and mean, you know I'm checking every email, making sure you didn't say something that could be misinterpreted. And uh, I don't know that is kind of the horror aspect that became part of beta test. Yeah, but beta test is also way more enthusiastic in its depiction of transgression. Like it is, it's again, it's the thing about depicting sex on screen, but it's allowed to be pleasurable. It's allowed to be fun. We can we can enjoy what he enjoys in the moment, like the thrill of walking into the dark room and not yeah. knowing. And I'm trying to cover up as much as I possibly can because no, I don't want to yeah, give it away for, for sure. people. But yeah. there is a lot of stuff in here that we have to be able to understand the temptation in order to get to the regret, right? Like it has to be worth the risk in the moment. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think you see, I mean, that this guy, and I mean, that was kind of the part of the, of the agency world is the fact that he's failing at his job and his job's disappearing and he feels like he has no more power in the world. And so he finally got something tempting that could be fulfilling and, and he had to go through with it. He was tempted enough to go through with it. And the fact that it was actually good, like he went and it was a great experience. Yeah. I mean, that was also part of it. It was like most of the time you wouldn't go because you would think it'd be some weirdo or maybe like a man or somebody else, or it'd be like somebody trying to trap you. Well, what if it was actually you're like someone who was perfectly paired to you and your search history soulmate in this sense, and it was actually great, that would make you want to go back and do it again. And that had to be the impetus for him to want to keep back and finding the uh, the source of the letters, which was funny to us to bring you into this bigger conspiracy. Yeah. And, and the setting of Los Angeles where everything is artificial to begin with. Sure. Kind of sure. mirrors the literal artifice of, of 
Kubrick's New York because, of course, he built the whole thing in, in England because he wasn't willing to come to that's, America. That's right, which is crazy. That like that was another thing I, I didn't know until I was researching it recently that that wasn't shot in New York. It was all, yeah, all shot in sets in England, which is insane yeah. uh, to, to do that. I mean, like just massive sets. Um, but yeah, for sure. I mean, and he, he makes it look it's it's funny because New York, I mean, it looks beautiful with all the Christmas lights and everything for us. We kind of wanted to. You know, the whole agency world and the whole Hollywood world, like there's so many movies about the glitz and glamour of it. But honestly, in our experience, Hollywood's kind of seedy and dirty and gross. And like the industry can be kind of lame and just like taking itself too seriously. And just people that just, you know, the corporate double speak you deal with all the time. And so we kind of wanted to do like, you know, instead of the kind of romantic, dark, fun noirs of like, you know, cool you know, Jack Nicholson, Chinatown. We wanted to do goofy Chinatown of like a, like kind of a lame protagonist in a lame Hollywood, uh, you know, going, going through his lame experience of, uh, yeah, that's just not romantic at all. And it's actually really dirty and sad and boring and uh, kind of the more real side of what Hollywood is in our experience. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm just to push the metaphor a little further, right? Like the, the elite world inside Eyes Wide Shut is close to bill the same way you never get to like studio offices or the real money yeah because we're we're on we're on an outer tier right it's it's exactly the point i mean that was kind of how we made beta test i mean we could that was a movie we're never going to make doing it through the hollywood system and uh you know a lot of these gatekeepers i mean you're constantly having to wait for approval to get anything done and tell your crazy story and half the time, if you're going to tell a risky story, they're never going to do it because it's not commercial enough. And that's frustrating. And so, I mean, a big part of the beta test was the beta test of can we make a movie ourselves and tell the story our way and and still be able to get it out there and have audiences connect to it. And very thankful we were able to do it um, because, yeah, and, and also kind of making fun of the powers that be with a lot of the corporate doublespeak that we hear at all these general meetings. I mean... Jim and I have taken thousands of general meetings where it's literally ends with, yeah, let's keep talking. We're all excited, which basically just means, yeah, nothing. Like we're not yeah. going to, we're not going to follow up. It's just kind of filling the dead air and something you say as like a, you know, it's just the language as they walk you out the door. And uh, you know, that's sad. And that's a lot of industries though. That's not just the entertainment industry. I mean, that, I mean, that could be, you know, that's just kind of like the way people talk to each other, which is kind of just the bullshit way of being like, yeah, thanks for coming in. Okay. Bye. Yeah. Um, and so we wanted to make fun of that because, you know, in 2021, like enough of the bullshit, like, let's all be honest with each other, which is also another big theme beta test is just kind of finally putting away the bullshit and just being honest with each other. Yeah. And it takes what 90 odd minutes for the, for the central couple in the story to really tell each other what they want. Yeah. After watching Jordan just just frustratingly flail with <laughs> with all of his just nonsense lies. In the end, he's still trying to lie. He's literally poor. I don't want to give too, too much away, but I mean, he's he's in a parking garage, literally pouring lighter fluid on clothes and still trying to lie about it to his wife. And that's just insane until he finally has his exorcism. And in Eyes Wide Shut, it's kind of the same. I mean, it's not till the toy store at the end where they're yeah. walking and he's kind of and it's this lovely corporate America you know, consumerism, you know, like ugly New York toy store. And he's finally talked to Nicole Kidman. He's like, so what do we do now? <laughs> like literally it's like, all right, look, I I'll tell you everything. And he does and give him credit for it after the crazy night he had. 
it's also funny. It all takes place in like 24 hours. Yeah. It feels like so much happened, but it's literally 24 hours, which is very funny. And he's finally just the sad guy with Nicole Kidman and their daughter running around picking out Christmas presents. And he's like, all right, man, I've had a crazy 24 hours. Like, how do we move on from here? She's like, yeah, I don't know. One day at a time, I guess. Uh, and that's also very funny to me that that's kind of how they left it. Yeah. He gets what he wants, but you know, he's sleep deprived and exhausted and he won't enjoy it. Yeah. I mean, he had some, one of the craziest experiences ever going to this orgy and then becoming kind of this detective of tracking down the dead body of this woman who saved his life. Um, and was out all night with all these like close sexual rendezvous and then came home to this mask on the pillow, which is super weird and kind of obscure. It's like, who put that there? How did that happen? Um, it's just kind of just this beaten down guy, which is very similar to Jordan in the beta test. He's just this dude who's finally just had enough and can't, can't take lying anymore. And finally has to be honest with his wife. Yeah. Cummings has this incredible quality. I mean, in all, in all of his features, um, to be absolutely pathetic while still needing our sympathy, like still earning our sympathy and still being worthy of it. I, I, yeah. I don't, I honestly don't know how you write to something like that because it would be so easy to tip it in the wrong direction. Yeah. It's very unique. I mean, I think, you know, we're very lucky that we have access to the main character um, when we're <laughs> writing. I mean, a lot of it has to be done out loud. I mean, a lot of the way we write, you know, both of us kind of coming from acting backgrounds is mm -hmm. we kind of have to do it on our feet. And so we're constantly just in the room together, putting it on its feet and finding the best beats and the best dialogue and the best way to get from A to B in each scene. And the stuff that's making us laugh while also being sad and pathetic. And I think that is a unique voice that Jim has found in his acting style is just these, the people that have finally just hit the end of their rope in this sad, desperate way. But he's also funny because he's just a very, he has very good comedic timing. And so yeah. he's just, he's a very interesting guy to watch on screen. I mean, and and it's funny. I mean, I went to college with him and he wasn't an actor. Like I was the actor in college and, but, and he was, he was more of a producer and a cinematographer and all through school. And even after school in our twenties, my friends and I would always be like, Jim, like you, you're a really funny actor. Like you should come do that. He was like, ah, no, nah, I don't want to do you, you guys do all that. And he would never do it. And it finally took the thunder road short where we were kind of like coming up with this weird idea for this cop who does this weird song and dance at a funeral <laughs> And we were like, dude, you, like, you have to do this. Like, this is so funny. And he finally committed. And it was one of the greatest things ever. And we were off and running. And uh, yeah, very glad that he did. Yeah, there's, I mean, there are people you enjoy watching break down. And then there are people who are more, almost more enjoyable trying not to. Like, it's the old Meryl Streep thing. Sure. Like, if you're going to cry, try laughing. Yeah, the audience sure. Will read it as restraint. But what he does, like in this this film, there's this aria of panic that just keeps going. And then I keep thinking now about Cruz in, in Eyes Wide Shut and how he plays it as determination because that's Tom Cruise's thing. Like he's, yeah. he's an arrow. You point him at something and you fire. Yeah, and for sure. The straight line yeah. is not as interesting as the spiral. I agree. That's, that's interesting because, yeah, Tom, but you're right. I mean, this is the one role where you're right. He, he, th he feels like he thinks he's being confident. But he's so clearly just getting manipulated the whole time. Like he's a guy who thinks he's got it all figured out and he does a lot of brave stuff. I mean, like going to that party took a lot of guts and then walking around in that party, knowing you're probably in danger, took a lot of guts. But he's so clearly at a place. And the whole time you're like, dude, get out of there. What are you doing there? They know it's you. I mean, 
cutting to like the guys up top and like in the weird mask, like looking down and nodding at him. You're like, how does he not know he's going to get fucking busted? Like he's so <laughs> obviously in trouble, but he stupidly kind of stays there. And I guess that's kind of similar to Jim's character where I, it's more pathetic though. Cause I think Jim Jordan's character in beta test, you know, you know, he tries to be confident um, because he feels like he has to, because that's kind of part of the job is to be this cocky guy like as an agent who has all things all figured out. Yeah. But I think deep down, he kind of knows that his life is falling apart. He's just trying so hard to keep it together. So he doesn't have the mental breakdown. And at the end, he finally just does because he can't take it anymore. And I think him and Tom's arc, they're both sad. They just get to that sad realization in different ways. You're right. It's kind of the arrow versus the spiral to get there, but they're yeah. both fun to do in, in, in kind of different worlds. Uh, yeah, yeah, well, like Bill thinks he has the power of a Ziegler. Like he thinks he's figured it all out. Yeah. Jordan, Jordan knows he hasn't. Yeah, he's, he's that's trying true. to keep up, right? Which I find absolutely amazing. Yeah, as a character sure. beat, because that's how I feel all the time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I think that's what's weird. People are always like, you know, are you worried about that Jordan's character is too unlikable? And I'm like, I, I mean, I hear what people say that, but. I think sadly there's a lot of Jordan that's actually very relatable because he's oh, yeah. just like, I mean, we, we're all just kind of faking it and hoping like that we come across, like we know what we're doing. I certainly do that every day where I hope people think I know what I'm doing. And like, we're all just trying our best in this world and, 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 you know, but it's tough and it's hard and we're all kind of putting on a facade every day to kind of get through. And I think we can all relate to a guy who's just so desperate to seem confident and like, he's got it all figured out. And you feel bad for him when he's not. And he's just this sad dude who's kind of lost everything. And uh, and yeah, it's just kind of at the end of his rope. And I don't know. I think that's kind of funny in a sad way, which Jim plays so well. That actually made me think, because Dr. Bill is actually good at his job, which I think is different. Yes, like that's he's actually point. a doctor. He's actually a smart guy. Like I think Jordan's not a very smart guy and he's obviously not good at his job. It's funny when we do Jim always brings up with the unlikable thing. He says, well, Tony Soprano, you know, and Walter White, you know, they're the ultimate antiheroes. But but the fact that they're good at their job, you respect them. And so, like, you're OK with it because it's interesting to watch someone be good at their job. Jordan's not good at his job. <laughs> Jordan's not really good at anything. He's not good at his marriage. He's not good at his job. He's kind of not good at anything. But you're you're kind of still relate to him because you feel bad for the guy in a weird way. At least Dr. Bill is a good doctor. Uh, and is actually confident. He just gets in way over his head in the most ridiculous way possible. Yeah, but it's never about the medicine. You're right. The medicine's exactly. always fine. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I wanted to to come back to the um, to the central relationship in in the beta test because Virginia Newcomb as Carolyn is much more present in in the beta test than Kidman is in in Eyes Wide Shut because sure. by necessity. Bill has to go away for the whole night. He's he's isolated from her and from everything else because he's pursuing something that isn't her. Jordan has to keep coming back to Caroline, which I find even more interesting because yeah. even though she's she knows something's up, it's very clear that she knows he's not acting like himself, but she has no idea what it really is. And he is, of course, instantly paranoid that she knows everything. So yeah, that, yeah. that conflict is so great. And, and I think... You know, if we're if we're comparing the two films, I think it kind of improves on the dynamic of Eyes Wide Shut because it does provide a faster mirror for for Jordan to yeah. understand where he's where he sort of stands. Sure. I mean, you you feel bad because you're just watching him come back to his wife. And Virginia just is lovely. She's competent. 
she's endearing. She just seems like way too cool for Jordan. And you're kind of like, why, yeah, why are you with this guy? And you can tell that she knows like this guy is clearly like something weird's going on. Um, but I, yeah, that was great. It's funny to watch him check in with her throughout the movie yeah. and just can, and like you feel worse for her because his lies, it's weird because his lies to her get worse, but it was funny to us because his lies to everyone else trying to find the source of the letters gets better. Like he actually becomes a better liar throughout the movie to other people. Like he's bad at impersonating a police officer, like at the concierge scene of the hotel. Like it's so obviously like he's bad at it, but then he eventually gets what he wants, like pretending to be a federal officer at Hermes post. And he does finally get to the source of the letter. He actually becomes a good detective in a weird, funny way. Um, but he gets kind of progressively, but he kind of sacrifices being honest with his wife or his future wife until the very end where he finally faces her and has his big exorcism. Uh, only to find out, uh, I don't want to give too much away, but only yeah, to we've... find out like something, yeah, something else has shifted, but, uh, but yeah, his, his relationship to Caroline is just this weird inverse thing that happens. And, uh, it's a lot of fun to watch because Virginia plays so well off of Jim throughout the arc of the movie. Yeah. Whereas, you know, Alice Harford is just there to be forgiving. Yeah. Right? Like sure. that, that none of it really mattered and everything is fine. And, and here is the thing you wanted all along. You just had to appreciate it in the first place. You yeah. Know, like, Kubrick does let Bill off the hook in an interesting way. Like he is responsible for that woman's death, but again, he's protected. I, I was, I was thinking that actually rewatching it recently while we've been uh, getting ready for this table read, I, ha- I hadn't seen it in a while. And I had the thought, I was like, yeah, I mean, I guess he's like trying to like, he feels bad. So he's kind of trying to get to the bottom of it. And then realizes maybe there's like, you know, he could do something, but then gets scared away by Ziegler and everything. But yeah, I mean, he is responsible for her death. I mean, he got her killed. He walked in and the consequences are pretty dire. He got a woman murdered and then he kind of is just in the toy store worried about, you know, how he seems to Nicole Kidman and is kind of over it pretty fast. Um, But I don't know. I mean, I guess that's kind of the world of the upper elite of New York where you kind of just move on and you're more worried about your own personal life and, how you seem to your wife. Cause at the end of the day, all of this happened because he kind of got like weirded out sexually with his wife and a dream she had. And that made him insecure. And he got a woman killed over it, which is such a weird way to go out and uh, respond to that. Um, yeah. And yeah, it was just, it's, uh, but it is true. He, he got that woman killed and kind of got over it pretty fast, but I guess that was kind of out of fear because Sidney Pollack had, was pretty scary in that final scene. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Kubrick knew, definitely knew what he was doing. And, you know, it was supposed to be, it was, but it wasn't supposed to be, it was shot with Harvey Keitel for a while. And I think there's a very different energy between the two of them. Oh yeah, for sure. Well, it's interesting because he seems even in the scene where he tells him like, Hey, I was there. Like, those are my friends. Like you're in big trouble. He still is like kind of warm about it and trying to be nice about it. It's a really weird, I'd be curious to see how Harvey would have played it. Um, but yeah, the whole time he's still he's still kind of trying to be the chummy, goofy uncle uh, to be like, look, man, like these guys, like I'm try- I'm the nice guy here. Like, look, I'm trying to be look, hey, that lady, nobody's going to miss her. It's fine. Like the door was locked from the inside. The cops bought it. Everything's fine, which is like the most dead giveaway of like, yeah, we we set it up. But yeah. he he still is like this trying to be this weirdly chummy chummy guy in a really scary situation I, the, the whole dynamic of that scene was just so fun to me like it's just captivating and i mean that was one of the biggest draws to to wanting to 
come off that movie because it feels like it blends so many tones. It's uh, it's really well done. Yeah, I'm fairly sorry. I can't be there to see this reading in L.A. because it sounds like it's going to have a very different feel. It's going to have a yeah, we're, we're really excited about it. I, I'm sure they'll tape it. I hope they'll put it online. But yeah, we're going to really. Yeah, I think we're going to really lean into the bombastic comedy aspect. Um, I think some parts will be brooding, but we want to like bring in like a little stupid like piano and play like the like <laughs> piano keys as we go. And like while we're doing while you're reading the ridiculous stage directions of um, going through the orgy scene and uh, these big. I don't know. To me, like movies like this are so funny to me because this dark, brooding, ominous films, like almost noir films to me are so funny. Like I love, like I love writing kind of comedy noir, I guess, because it's just such a dark, funny genre. That's just, it's just fun to make fun of because it's a world that I love to live in. I love dark, ominous kind of Gothic settings. And so to put comedic characters in that is just such a funny way to tell a story. I like, that's a world I want to live in. Yeah. And we're never as cool as we think we are. So it would make perfect sense to exactly, see because they take themselves so seriously. And I think maybe that's why Eyes Wide Shut is so funny to me because it does take itself so seriously that a lot of movies like that, you, you just kind of, I can't help myself. I just want to laugh at it because they're so, it's so ridiculously over the top and some people can pull it off. And sometimes you're like, all right, come on. It's a movie. Like, this is so funny. <laughs> like how is nobody cracking a smile here? Cause like, I can't imagine being on set, like doing that orgy scene. And they're like, these women are like dancing around, spinning around. And the guys like got the masks and they're kissing each other. How are they not just like sitting there? Like, dude, this is nuts. <laughs> like, this is so silly. Like I can't imagine everyone's behind camera. Like, mm, yes, yes. Ah, uh, yes. This is, this is, this is cinema classic. <laughs> like, this is great right here. Like someone had to have been like, this is really funny. Um, I don't know. It's just making movies is fun. You got to have fun with it. You got to have a sense of humor about it. Yeah. I was like, this is take 65. That's why nobody's laughing. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I guess so. It sounded like it was a nightmare to work on. It was the, I think I, I read it was like the longest movie shoot technically like ever. I mean like years over yeah. years. Yeah. At the time. Making, I mean, and people I were just exhausted by it by the end of the shoot. So yeah, yeah. I guess it's not funny when you're on year right on take 65 and exhausted and still doing it. Yeah. Plus, I, I mean, I just hope it was warm for the for the naked people. It seems like yeah. that's a kind yeah, of torture in itself. Although yeah, then the people absolutely. in the robes are going to peel over. There's no way to win, right? No, there's not. There's there's definitely not. It's uh, yeah. And it must have been, I, I don't know, brutally awkward to shoot. I mean, shooting sex scenes is tough. I mean, we were lucky. We had an intimacy coordinator on our sets and it was very controlled. And, you know, we rehearsed everything like we were blocking it out. But it's still, you know, it's still a hard thing to do. I mean, they're your friends that you're doing this with. And so, I mean, to do a scene like that, I can't even imagine on a scale like that, what that would have been like on set. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a tough thing to do. Uh, it's a very hard thing to do in a professional setting. Yeah. And I keep falling back on jokes to make it okay for me to be talking about it. But I think that's well, yeah, part of the point. I, know. Right? Like, it's, I, like, it's I feel bad because like, it's not something to joke about, but like it, it is a, it is a defense mechanism. It's disarming. Yeah. And I think that's kind of a lot of the reason Jim and I have a lot of comedy in our work is because we do talk about very serious social issues and about sex and, and, you know, and all these different things. And I think the comedy aspect just kind of makes, you know, I, it kind of makes us feel comfortable doing it and helping us to connect with an audience. So an audience feels comfortable watching a lot of this stuff and we can talk about it and laugh about it too. It doesn't have to be so serious and just hitting you over the head with a message. You know, you can kind of connect over comedy. 
my thanks to PJ McCabe, who you can see right now co-starring with Jim Cummings in the beta test, which they wrote and directed together. It's available on demand and on the IFC Films Unlimited channel on Amazon Prime Video. Thanks also to Ali Lemaire Shedden. She knows what she did. You can find PJ on Twitter at CoolAndHappyOne, C-O-O-L-A-N-D-H-A-P-P-Y, and the numeral one. And you can find Eyes Wide Shut on Blu-ray and DVD from Warner Home Entertainment. It's also streaming on Netflix and Crave in Canada, and on HBO Max in the U.S., and you can also find it on most VOD services. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Norm Wilner, and elsewhere on the internet at NowToronto.com, where I host the Now What podcast every Friday, well, except this week when we're off, and I write far too many words about movies and television. You can find my top ten list at NowToronto.com slash movies right now. And you can find this podcast on Twitter at Semcast, S-E-M-Cast, and pretty much wherever you get your podcasts. Our theme song is by The Last Year. If you like it, or the show in general, please say so. Leave a review wherever you've been enjoying us. Every little bit helps. It truly does. And check out the other shows on the Frequency Podcast Network while you're there. Stay safe. Watch movies. Wear a mask if you go out. Get your booster when you can. It's going to be a weird holiday, but I'll see you on the other side. Thanks for listening.